the volume. Oral Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. FanDuel is the best. They're America's number one sportsbook. It's so easy to use, safe and secure. What more do you need to hear here? There's fast payouts too, as quick as two hours. What a turnaround. And there's so many different bet types as well. The same game parlay bets, live betting, player props, futures, There's risk-free bets and the same game parlay bets, enhanced odds markets. There's so much more. It's fantastic. It will not let you down. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9889 in Tennessee. Or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to Oral Sessions with Renee Paquette. This is where we mash up the best of the week. We take our interviews from Tuesday and Thursday, what those episodes were. We take those highlights. We put them together all here in one convenient place for your listening pleasure. Uh, Hopefully you guys enjoy what we put together here for you guys. And if you want to go back and listen to these interviews in their entirety, you can do that right here where you're listening as it is. Um, So anywhere you guys are listening to podcasts, you can go back and find those full length interviews. But otherwise we've, uh, we've done a little bit of heavy lifting for you and gave you guys some of the highlights from what, from what you want to hear. But you know, we're so lucky with all the amazing guests that we have on oral sessions that I'm sure if you're fans of these people, you're going to want to go back and hear more of their story here, more of who these people are and what makes them tick and what has led to their success, all that fun stuff. Um, I love what I get to do here and I love getting to chat with all these interesting and fascinating people. It's a hell of a time. And yeah, now we just get to do a little best of here on the weekend. So here we go. Let's get into it. Here's the best stuff from this week on Oral Sessions. You're the AEW world champion. How is it being at the very tippy top of your business? How are you feeling with everything? Let it out. What's going on? It's great. It's a little surreal. I don't know that ever will sink in at this point. You know what I mean? It's also a little frustrating. Why? Because I've worked so hard for so long. I've won this championship and I have not gotten to wrestle a match since I won it. Uh, And it's been (laughs) three or four weeks. uh, And I've been asking for a match with uh, Brian Danielson since you know, the Wednesday after the pay-per-view, like I haven't gotten to wrestle since then. So it's kind of like frustrating as well. I'm sure it probably feels that way for like people in other sports who like, you know, you, you win the Super Bowl or whatever. And then like, you just don't play football for a long time. Right. Yeah. You're just, yeah. You're, you're, it's like you're off season all of a sudden, which is not like what I want at all. So that's a little frustrating, but otherwise incredible feeling, incredible feeling to know that you know, like all of, I guess, myself that I put into everything since, you know, AEW started, it wasn't rejected. It was embraced. It actually helped me achieve something, you know, because it, it totally could have went the other way where people just, you know, like shit on who you are or whatever, especially become so vulnerable and try something different. Uh, but it worked. So it's an incredible feeling. Vulnerability is key, though. I feel like that is you got to put yourself out there. And I mean, I just feel like this, like, 
swell of adoration for you from all wrestling fans. I mean, it is really cool to see. And with like the long-term storytelling that has been done with you to get you to this point, how has that sort of felt living that out? I wouldn't even talk about at least my journey to the AW World Championship as like some kind of grand scheme that was hatched on day one or something like that, because it never was, at least to me, it was never that way. When AEW started and, and I, you know, realized I was going to be suddenly like, I was just the guy like losing all the Bullet Club multi-man matches. I was, you know, not to say a nobody, but I certainly wasn't like the main event guy who was suddenly going to be main eventing the first ever title match in AEW. Like I knew people wouldn't buy it. And it didn't matter what I said. It didn't matter what I did in the time between. It was too fast. It was too soon. I knew people might they would be forgiving. They would, you know, go, oh yeah, okay, okay. But I knew deep down they wouldn't buy it. It felt like I got off on the wrong foot and I wanted to rectify that. And it felt like the only way you can is to be vulnerable and to, you know I mean, let that loss and that disappointment come out, you know what I mean? Over like a long time. And every week we would get to TV and it, would, it wasn't like some grand scheme of how do we get back to Adam Page winning the world title. I just would think like, how do I feel about this? Like, what would I feel about this? And okay, let's do that this week. It's pretty interesting, even just like, um, I mean, I'll kind of date this because this episode won't come out until Tuesday, but um, AEW's Twitter put out the other day, I'm sure you thought of like, what would you rather see? Hangman Adam Page lose the world title or CM Punk lose his uh, undefeated streak? (laughs) And the internet was up (laughs) in fucking arms. They're like, you cannot let him lose the title. Absolutely not. Like you were trending for a while. Like, well, AEW was not on television. This was just a moment that was happening and people were freaking out. I love seeing something so organic happen and being able to see the follow through with that. And for fans to get the payoff for that, it's so important. I feel like fans so often get burned on things like that. So it's nice to see them. And for you, obviously, to to get those moments. Do you have really crazy fan experiences? I'm trying to think of something like super crazy. Like, I, I don't think anything out of the norm that most of us have all experienced, you know? I feel like women must get very upset that you're married. Does this happen? Does your wife get on the receiving end of something? Probably, but I don't know. I don't know that I pay attention to like that stuff enough to know. What gets me, this, man, this is really starting to cheese me off, (laughs) has been the people, and I won't even say fans, I would say like the people in like our hotels. Like you might as well just be on my front fucking doorstep. This is my house for the week and you are in it. You know what I mean? Like, get out of here. Like we were, I think we were in Chicago and I was coming through the hotel lobby, trying to get across the street to the building or whatever. And the guy's got like an action figure, you know, whatever. And and I'm I'm moving, you know, I'm just going, I'm like, I'm sorry. I gotta, I gotta run, whatever, whatever. And he just keeps yelling and yelling, yelling, you know what I mean? Like not taking no for an answer. And like, as I'm going through the door, he, he yells like, well, you signed in Kansas city. And all I can think of is like, what are you doing here in my hotel in Chicago? If you saw me in Kansas city, what is going on? So like, it's, yeah, it's a lot of like the same people. Like that would always blow my mind too with WWE where I'd be like, wait, I just saw you in the town that we were in last week. And like, I've flown home and then flown to another state. Did you do the exact same thing? Like who's funding this? I don't get it. Maybe there's some like, 
I don't know, elite secret society of people who, who just hate wrestlers and they, they fund these people to harass us. I don't know. There was a fan that used to always be front row in WWE had like long hair and he was like always there, I think with like his mom or something. But there was like this like big rumor that he was like Vince's love child. And part of the deal was that Vince had to pay for it to be at every show <laughs> I love when stupid shit like that exists and people like lean into that story. I'm like, oh my God, tell me about it. Please tell me this is real. I mean, obviously it's ridiculous, but yeah, it always blows my mind that, that people can just bounce around from state to state and show up to, to every show in every hotel room. But it does really feel like people are like on your front lawn. I used to always get stressed out being like, I just want to run down to the lobby to go grab a coffee, but I'm in like my sweats. I don't have any makeup on and people want to take a photo. You feel like a dick. My rankings list, like, Worst is hotel, right? Second worst is airport because it's that's that's still like more of a public place than my than my home for the week. But it's usually really early in the morning, right? Or for me, it's also late at night too, and I'm getting into the town. That's when it is for me. This week there was like 20 people, like swarmed me in a circle, so I couldn't escape this time. Like there's no out, so I had to sign my way out of the circle. And I guess I didn't get everybody because I saw my bag, whatever. So I walk, and this is at LaGuardia, I think. So I walk, like, it's almost like a a half a mile to walk to the Uber pickup. And I have that feeling, you know, when someone's watching you, and I look over my shoulder as I get to the Uber pickup, and there's one of them, like, that's followed me, essentially, to my Uber. And at this point, I'm like, no, I, I can't, I can't do this. Like, you can't, like, follow me to my Uber. This is weird, like, whatever. And then he's just, like, going off on me about it as I'm trying to load my bags into the Uber. My tier list, bottom of the list, is in the hotel with me. Above that is airport. Fans outside the building day of the show, you know, that's okay. I understand that. Because if you if you think like, oh, I would love to see so-and-so like in real life, more of an acceptable place to, to show up. But on the flip side, top of the list people who send me very nice messages about what, you know, my character story has meant to them. They're awesome. Even better than that, like people who do uh, incredible like fan art or like, I don't, like some guy did like an entire, almost like a documentary series about, you know, my past two or three years. That stuff's incredible. So there is a tier list. That's the bottom. That's kind of like the top. It can definitely be like rough trying to like balance that like good with the bad. But with you being um, the anxious millennial cowboy, where does the anxiety come from? What's the deal on that? I just, I don't, I'm not a, a conversationalist. I don't know. Uh, anxious maybe in, maybe like not a, uh, I don't know, would someone use the word neurotypical or a neurotypical or whatever? Like more of like a social anxiety? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yes. Oh, man. So this is a story I've ever told. Uh, in, I don't even know if middle school, maybe like high school age, I had super, super bad social anxiety. Like diagnosed medication, social anxiety. Like I can remember one time sitting at my desk, right? And I, like it was like in the middle of like taking a test or something. But I could remember like my whole like body would turn flush red. I would start sweating. Then I would become aware that for God knows what reason, like no one's looking at me, this is happening to my body. So then it even gets like 10 times worse. What's going on? Like my eyes water and stuff. I'm, I'm just, just sitting in my desk. Uh, but like, yeah, I had terrible anxiety uh, as uh, like high school age. I think wrestling helped me get out of that to an extent because not that like I didn't have, not that I had like low self-worth or anything like that, but like wrestling was always my passion and like where I felt comfortable, like what I liked doing. And once I was able to do that and see like some success in it, 
like being surrounded by, you know, 20 people, 200 people, 2000, 20,000, like as that grew, uh, you get, I think, more comfortable with that and with yourself, maybe. I don't know. Wrestling helped me a lot with that, I think. What was it like for you when you were a teacher? Because that's got to be rough. I feel like being a teacher and trying to talk to like high school students, like even when I would go do like the be a star things and we would go and like do these big campaigns, do these big speeches at high schools, at elementary schools, like that would rock my world. I'd be like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Yeah, I don't know. I think by the time I was teaching, I had been like performing as a wrestler enough that like I could think of teaching as like the performance. Uh, obviously different, but I could think of it that way. And I also think like these were high school kids. They weren't my peers, you know? So I also like there's less pressure there. I don't know, man. High school kids are terrible. I had some wild ones, but. Some of my classes were dual enrolled college classes and you had to have like a certain GPA or something like to get into the classes. So I had pretty good kids and they were in a computer lab. So really, if they didn't want to do their work, they just like played games on the computer. So they just kind of like were quiet anyway. You were teaching journalism, right? Uh, yeah, journalism, um, which really was like three or four weeks of me teaching journalism. And then for the rest of the semester, the students made the school yearbook, which shouldn't have taken that much time and effort. But like the yearbook class was, you know, I would think of it like in like the 80s or 90s, it was probably like you had to like do something to get into yearbook or something. This was almost the opposite. It was like these kids don't care about anything. They don't want to do anything. I don't want to throw them in that yearbook class. It was wild. And these are the students I would have like, just running around the school, like interviewing people and stuff. That was very difficult. So I did that and managed to get the school five yearbooks published for the five years I did it. So that was a thing. And I taught graphic design. And uh, the second class after just the graphic design class was some graphic design, some like just more multimedia. So like video and audio and all that kind of stuff as well. Did your students know that you were a wrestler at the time or were you like living a double life? Uh, They knew it was a small town. So I would like on day one, uh, you know, like, here's your course syllabus. Here's like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. I'm your teacher. I'm also a professional wrestler. Here's me. Uh, someone hit me in the head with a chair. You know what I mean? Like get that out of the way. And I would ask a ton of questions after like day one, they were like, okay, whatever. And then I would teach all semester and it, every year it never failed. It'd be like Christmas. We're about to get out. Semester's almost over. Like last couple of days of class where you're just watching movies and stuff. And one kid who would, like never speak the whole class would finally be like, Oh, Hey, yeah, I watched, you know, the match you had against ACH last week. It was really good. I really like this. And I'm like, what are you, what, <laughs> what's going on? But they would never mention it until like the very last moment. Unreal. Um, okay. So winter is coming just around the corner. What, um, what are you expecting for you and the American dragon and Brian Danielson? Like you said, you've not wrestled in a little bit. How do you feel before this match? This is huge. I feel a lot better than I think I would have felt about it a year or two ago. I feel really good about it. I'm excited. I've obviously, like anyone in wrestling, I've been watching Brian Anderson for a long time. You know what I mean? Like since I was in high school, finding out that there's wrestling outside of what's on TV and, you know, looking up stuff. He was obviously like one of the first people you stumble into. And now here we are about to be across the ring from each other at winter is coming much like winning the championship, a surreal feeling, but I have to remind myself it's a very real thing that is going to be happening that I need to prepare for, but I do feel good about it. I was able to beat Kenny in less than 30 minutes, something that he couldn't do. And I'm trying to 
you know, in preparing for him, remind myself of that and not let the doubt creep in. Just with like his hard hitting style and this version of Brian Danielson, this like unleashed, unhandcuffed version of him mentally and physically, what are going to be like your preparations before this match? I'm stretching a lot. I'm not like, I don't know if anybody's ever noticed. I'm not uh, super flexible. (laughs) Uh, So I'm working on that because I'm sure uh, he'll take any opportunity to twist and tie me the hell up. And it doesn't take much uh, with my rigid frame. (laughs) Also doing a shit ton of cardio because he is a guy who's known to wrestle long ass matches. If that's he likes a good Iron Man match, he, he likes does. to go for uh, it. Thankfully, that's not what this is. <laughs> uh, but I've upped that a, a shit ton as well. And I've been revisiting, you know, every Brian match that I can think that I've seen before, revisiting them, rewatching them, stuff. Like that. What are the ones that stand out for you that you think are top tier Brian Danielson matches? Really, any of the ones with with Nigel from Ring of Honor. I also like watching that because I feel like of all his rivals, I probably wrestled the most like Nigel, at least comparing. So I like to see how he would approach the match because it's, you know, we have similar offense or, or things like that. Since Brian Danielson has entered AEW and we get to see Brian versus you, Brian versus Kenny Omega. I feel like the question often comes up of who is the best professional wrestler out of Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega. Who do you pick? I've wrestled Kenny before. I've not wrestled Brian. So I don't know that I can give a very unbiased answer. But between the two, uh, neither has the AW World Championship. No, they don't. Chumps. Uh, until one of them beats me for it, the answer's me. Hell of an answer. Good answer. <laughs> I mean, I was hoping that I was going to get you to kind of spill the beans on which one of them, but uh, I like where you went on that. <laughs> to me, it's subjective. You know, whatever you enjoy watching, whoever you enjoy watching the most, whether it's Kenny or Brian or me or Fuego Del Sol or who the hell ever. When you were tagging with Kenny, um, how different is it uh, tagging with him versus being across the ring from him? Tagging with him is a lot easier because he's, <laughs> sure. he's one of the best in the world and he's uh, on your team, uh, not across the ring from you. But the former prepares you for the latter, I guess. So you mentioned Ring of Honor earlier. What do you think about what's going on with Ring of Honor right now? I hope that, you know, whatever. I know that what I guess is this this weekend or by the time this airs, this final battle will have happened. Um, I hope that. That's not the last final battle. It's not the true final battle. And, you know, not just, you know, for the, the name of the company, it's something I've followed since before I started wrestling. And not even for all the people who right now have jobs there, but for all wrestlers and wrestling fans. Uh, this works so much better, as you can tell, you know, with AEW and with our time in Ring of Honor and New Japan before. This works so much better when there are more places to work. So I hope that whatever's going on with them, I hope that they're able to bounce back in whatever form they can, you know, as soon as they can. With all the things that you've been able to do throughout your career, all the different promotions you've been able to work for to championships that you've won to now being uh, the AEW world champion, how did you like, I want to say just like working through the pandemic, but being able to do the cinematic style matches, how was that experience for you? Wrestling during the pandemic sucked. It was the absolute worst. You would just like be going hard for 15 minutes and no one gave a shit because there's no one there to give a shit. 
So then you're starting to think like, oh, my God, I just did like, you know, superplex or whatever. And no one gives a shit because there's no one there. Uh, So it's silent. So you think like, I got to hurry up and do something else because like that's how we're conditioned as wrestlers. We respond and interact with the crowds that's there. And you take that away. Like, I I don't know what wrestling is. It sucked. But getting to do, you know, something like uh, was the stadium stampede or whatever. It was really fun. Like the opportunity to do something that. You know, like when we did the first stampede, like would absolutely never work. If you told a live crowd that, hey, we're going to cut away from you guys and there's going to be a fight somewhere else that we're going to show like a movie on the screen, like it would never work without the (laughs) pandemic. Um, It was a perfect time for something like that. And it was great. And it's not something that we're all completely unfamiliar with. Like the first time I saw Kenny was watching Kenny take a Hurricane Rana down a sand dune or something in some YouTube video. Like that was my first impression of Kenny. I saw that. Matt and Nick have probably done like a thousand things before, you know, on BTE or whatever. Same with me. Like, and even like when I was in high school, I, I was really into filmmaking. That's what I went to school for. And like, I, I made several movies with like Kung Fu fights and stuff in them. So it was like a very comfortable place to be a very, I know it's something we'd all kind of done before, but the chance to do it like for real, like on the actual paper, <laughs> that was awesome. I did not know that you went to school for film. What um, What's like your end all be all of your recommending the perfect film? What is it? This is another me giving terrible answers. <laughs> I don't know how you could test it, but I highly suspect I was the worst film student of all time. I had never seen any of the like classic movies. You name it, I probably haven't seen it. I have no good recommendations. All it was when I was like 14 or 15, my parents had like a video camera where they filmed Christmas and all that kind of stuff when we were younger. And I thought like, oh, what if we took this and like me and my buddies like, oh, what if we like made a movie or whatever? And we started doing that for a couple of years and it turned into a hobby. So then I thought I'd go to school for it. I know nothing about film at this point. (laughs) That's insane to me. Okay, well, what's like your favorite movie? You don't have to give me like the Roger and Ebert version of something, but like if you were to say this is a movie I will watch every time it's if it's on TV or if it's on wherever, it's like your go-to feel good puts you in a certain place. What is that? Mine sleepless in Seattle. I'll just put that out there. I love me a Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks combo in any capacity. I'll always watch it. I haven't seen Forrest Gump in forever. But I remember like seeing it for the first time when I was five and not understanding what the hell was going on. And then like again when I was seven and like understanding one more joke. And then like every time I would see it as a kid, like, I'd, like oh, 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 I see what that is. And I'm sure if I watched it now, like the historical context, I would understand like, oh, oh, yeah, I never understood that before. That was one that like, I guess as a kid growing up, I would see every few years and something would change with the movie. That's a decent answer. We can roll with Forrest Gump. That's a decent answer. We, we landed on something. Um, okay, so we deviated off the wrestling stuff, and I just want to go back very quickly. Were you supposed to, or were there future plans at all in place for you and Brody to have done um, a program together? I wanted to. And, you know, a lot of times in AEW, it feels like what I'm thinking I would like to work towards might not be what that person's thinking. It might not be what Tony's thinking. It might not be what anybody else is thinking. But you know, oh, I'll do a BTE scene and plant a seed for it and see what kind of reaction it gets. And almost, you know, 99 out of 100 cases, I'm pretty confident in the seeds that I would plant, what reaction they're going to get. And then I know that's going to drive, you know, where the story goes on TV as well. When there's a built-in reaction to something, you go with it. And that's what this company is. Let's be honest. 
AEW exists because of something like being the elite where we could have just these stupid ass storylines that in Ring of Honor and New Japan started influencing the actual wrestling shows or in a lot of cases were more popular than the wrestling shows. Like I remember I'd be wrestling in Ring of Honor and people were chanting stuff from like our little stupid BTE storyline. That's why they were there. That's why AEW exists because of those kinds of things. So I was planting seeds to do something uh, with Brody because I really wanted to. And when he, I guess, was ill and was gone, we didn't know what was going on. I like, I guess there were points where I felt like, I don't know, like, should I keep going this direction? I don't know. I don't know what to do. But I felt it would have been a disservice um, to him and to all of the Dark Order who are incredible people to like not keep going the only way that made sense, regardless of where we would end up with it. Yeah, and I'm I'm very glad we did that. Yeah, absolutely, certainly. Um, well, before I let you go here. The lower thirds during your entrance. Do you come up with those? Who writes those? No, there's, I guess, some in the graphics truck who does all those. They clown on me all the time. I'm so pissed off about it. I've tried to get snitches from the truck. I've planted spies in the truck. I'm not sure that it's in the truck and not like back in the studio in Nashville or something like that. I can't figure out who it is. And I'm fed up about it. Yeah, you need to get another mole. You need to get someone doing an inside job and really get to the bottom of this then. Yeah, I don't know. At this point, I don't know what to do about it. I'm the champion and I can't get it fixed. Um, So I guess they're just probably going to keep clowning on me for the foreseeable future. But if I stop having lower thirds altogether or they start being nice to me or normal, then you'll know that I I got them. Transitioning into, into the MMA world, Violence in sports is something that you gravitate towards. What is it about that you think that kind of makes your heart go pitter-patter? I think we all love violence. I mean, I think this whole country loves violence. It's the reason why football is, the you know, the most watched sport here in the country. I think that the reason why MMA and fighting has always been around for thousands of years, technically, you know, just we, we love violence. More people call me lights out now when I go anywhere in the country and they do Sean. They do that because they appreciated the way I played the game. You know, it wasn't like I had the best stats out of anybody and all. I mean, I have some accolades, but, you know, there's guys that far much better stats, but they knew that when I strapped it on, I played, I wanted pure violence for four quarters. That's it. You know, I think that me kind of transitioning to MMA, it was the easiest thing to do. For one, I've already been training myself, but been around it for 16 years. And so when I saw the opportunity to launch this league with Lights Out Extreme Fighting, there was another former local MMA league before I came in and took it over. It was like, man, I, this is this is home. This is where I wanted to be. My first deal out the gate, what I went up and, and negotiated with, was with the regional Fox deal. So I got us on Fox, Fox Sports West and Prime Ticket was I think was our original launch pad. You hustle, man. You get it done. And now you've partnered up with Fubo. Um, You just had an event recently. What do you want Lights Out to be? What do you want this promotion to be that's going to be different from from a Bellator, from a UFC? One of the biggest things in 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 why I'm excited for the Fubo partnership is, for one, we were in the pandemic crushed everybody. And so coming out the pandemic and partnering with a company like Fubo, they're very tech savvy. That was the first thing I was like, we started talking. They want to integrate tech and fan experience and do all this. And I'm like, my eyes are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger because that's where I want it lights out to be anyway, because that's what I know from the NFL. Like the NFL is big as it is because of fantasy football and, and being able to have all these this fan engagement type of thing. So I immediately wanted to do that with lights out. Second part is that I want us to be a premier league. Our last fight had 200,000 people watching on Twitch. 
and a few hundred thousand people watching live on the stream. To start out that way with that amount of viewership, it just shows that we got the right product and we're doing the right things that fans want to see. How many events do you plan on putting together? Like how are you, what's like the structure for how often we're going to be able to see some of these events? Uh, Right now we're going about every month and a half or so. The truth of the matter is there's a lot of fighters that need opportunity. And I have former athletes from other sports that's transitioning into my league right now. I got a show that I just shot up, that I wrote, produced and shot on my own called After the Game about former athletes that are transitioning into like former NFL, rugby, track. I talked to a couple guys at the WWE. I was like, man, look, come on up because it's guys that want to, you know, guys that want to scrap. Any names you can tell us? Or is that a secret? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I haven't got a green light yet. I'm working on it. But see, you know, I've been around a lot of these organizations, including the WWE, when I was, you know, I was working there and being able to host WrestleMania and all this. Like I've in the backside of the production and and seeing how things work um, and all the from Fox Sports. Yes, I've been around this for a long time. And it was time in 2018 where I was like, I want to do this shit myself. I know what I'm doing. Um, I have access to some of the greatest people in this industry and I know I can grow this thing. And that was it. What do you think about a promotion like Triller and what they're doing right now? I think it's good for them. Triller was one of the first ones I talked to for uh, a while. I sat down, I drove to Ryan's house. We met for three hours. What they're doing is good for them. Like, so regardless of what people say about the Jake Paul fights and all that, I bought the fights. And a lot of people say, oh, I'm not watching that shit. And guess what? They watched it. And so with Triller, for what they're trying to build, is it's great. It just wasn't great for us. There's going to be like the purists that don't want to see what they're doing. And they think, you know, yeah, like the Jake Paul coming in there, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I mean, they're drawing in new names, bringing in new eyes, bringing in bands like Metallica, having Snoop Dogg there performing, jumping on commentary. Like they're definitely uh, not cutting any corners in terms of their production value. That's for damn sure. How much do you think um, that you guys want to implement sort of that like glitzy side of fighting? You know, sports and entertainment is always going to be, there's always going to be a crossover, no matter what. You can't deny it or try to fight it or whatever. As far as having live concerts and stuff, like we've entertained, you know, local artists and coming in and doing some stuff and whatever, we're looking at it. But as far as being a concert venue and a event like they are with verses and everything else, for us, the number one thing I want to do is make everything we possibly can do is integrate it for people at home. With the gaming, the, the football sports book, they just launched the sports books and these next couple and coming fights, you'll be able to bet chokes, knockdowns and knockouts and, you know, all kind of stuff during the fight within Fubo. You know, I want to make it as integrated as possible. So while, you know, Triller and all these other people are there doing their thing, my number one concentration is getting everything integrated so you can have the best fan experience possible. So you used to spar a little bit with Tyron Woodley. How do you think he does this time around with uh, with Jake Paul? So when I walked in there with Randy Couture, one of the first people that I saw training in there, this is in the mid 2000s with Tyron. And so this is when he was kind of just had a wrestling background, but his boxing wasn't that great yet. So he became a better stand-up and boxer. And, and I'm friends with Tyron, but my thing with Tyron is always going to be the same thing. He's not going to win anything until he let his punches go. I don't care who he fights, whether it's Jake or anybody else. He's not going to win fights if you've got an opportunity to put a guy down and you don't do it. You got the capabilities. He had Jake against the ropes. But the other thing is, too, and I'll say this, and I, and, and I want to say for somebody who trained with Jake, when he was first starting out, it, may, it might have been a two. Wait, you trained with Jake? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So I'm really good friends with Shane Mosley. You know, Shane always trains up there in Big Bear. So I went to go. He invited me up. He said Jake and BJ and everybody was up there staying for a week or so. And I said, OK, cool. I'll come up there. And just like everybody else, 
before I went up there to see Jake, I thought it's, it's some YouTuber out here trying to, you know, throw some fights, get some viewership and thought it was be like you know, more of a, um, you know, like a mockery type of deal just to make some money. That's what I thought it was. And then I got up there and I saw him actually training and putting in work. My first thing I said, I, I tapped Shane. I said, dude, he works like he's he actually goes out and has the mentality to train like a pro. Because a lot of these guys, you know, you look at the YouTubers, they get this negative like kids doing dumb shit and, all. you know, just you get that attitude about them. But that was a total opposite when I when I went up there and stayed for a few days and we went running up there and, and sparring and all, you know, all this. stuff. I said, this guy is going to be good. So I'm not surprised at his success. I think he's going to beat Tyrone, and I think he's going to beat him bad this time around. This is no shade or hate on him. Until Tyrone decides to let his hands go and go for it all instead of being so reserved, you're going to get outboxed by Jake because Jake's the better boxer. Do you think that Jake Paul is now starting to get more respect from other fighters and other boxers? Yeah, but the problem is, is that when somebody don't like you, they're going to find a reason to not like you. Like we knocked out Ben Ashman, it was like, oh, the fight was fixed. And I'm like, listen, a fight on Triller, Showtime, whatever it is, this is not the 1960s. People ain't fixing fights. Because if you do that, you jeopardize the company, you jeopardize the league, the promotion, you jeopardize everything. Because now everybody's looking like you're not watching those fixed fights anymore, even though all the other fights are real. So nobody's fixing no fights anywhere. But Jake is so disliked. He's so disliked that even if he goes out and beats a qualified guy, they want to say things like it's fixed. And I'm telling you, this guy, he's he trains like any professional athlete I've ever been around. Do you think that he's good for the sport? I think he's great for the sport because he brings a different demographic. Now, me being a, a league owner, promoter and being on this side of it, I would keep doing what they've been doing. Right. You put Jake Paul up there to fight, you know, whoever, whether it's Tyron or whoever he plans on fighting. And then you stack it with a ton of other real fighters that you want to get eyeballs. That's how you build other guys. You start to launch other big fights. The promotion's big. You get the numbers and the viewership you want. So it's perfect for the sport. But then again, anybody that's saying that Jake Paul should go out and fight Canelo right now is crazy. What do you think about what Jake Paul's been able to do in terms of the pay scale? Um, I mean, I know he's called out Dana White before. He's talked about it a lot for what fighters get paid. Um, what's your stance on that? You know, first and foremost, people have to understand that when these other MMA guys or former boxers, whoever, go and fight for a different promotion and they get paid more, they've already made a name for themselves. So you can ask for that amount of money. Do good fighters get more? Yeah. But then again, you ask anybody in any industry where they want to make more money, they're probably going to tell you, yeah, they deserve more money. Anybody. So when people say that fighters are not getting paid, make a name for yourself, right? And then that's how you get paid, by winning and creating a promotional avenue for you that brings in viewership. You're going to get paid. So when I hear people say that, it doesn't make sense because, okay, yeah, Anderson Silva is going to make more boxing. He's going to make more doing that in one fight than he has in his, in his last fight or two with the UFC. That's uh, definitely a very valid point that I think a lot of people kind of forget when you just look at like fighters getting more money. You're not like looking at the category of fighter, what their brand is, uh, their name value and all of that. You mentioned WWE. So what all happened there? You came in, you were working at the Performance Center, you had hosted a WrestleMania part of the kickoff show. What was like your first interaction with WWE and sort of the bright lights that dazzled your eyes over there? Obviously, for one, growing up and being a fan of it, right? I mean, I don't know anybody that was around my age that didn't watch WWE just growing up in general. It was like every time I got home from school, it was I was going to watch. If I had a practice, I was going to watch WWE. So just watching it from that standpoint. But I started talking to Paul 
Triple H before I retired, probably like in 2011. We were talking about it at an event. When we started kind of going back and forth, it's an event in LA, I I believe it was. And I think I came out there one night stand. I did something. It was a pay-per-view I did in San Diego. And I was a part of the show. Got really good feedback. And then we started to keep in conversation. I told Paul, I said, hey, I'm going to retire here probably in the next, you know, whatever. So the plan was to work with NFL Network and then train half the time and the other half time spend in Orlando at the Performance Center. I want everybody to know that the workout is brutal. Like, I don't, I don't. What did they put you through? What was the training? I think they wanted to see if they can just take me through the ring. But it was a straight hour nonstop. I try to tell people that those ropes, there's metal under those ropes. When I got done with this work, I was all bruised up. Billy Gunn was my in-ring coach. And then Regal did, you know, was on the grappling side and some other stuff. And after we were done... You know, every week the the NXT that down there, and then you do that that weekly. What do you call it, the week the weekly promo cut? You did one with Dusty. With Dusty. So let me tell you. <laughs> so got done my workout. Um, you know, went and um, everybody's there for about two hours doing their promos, and this is when everybody who's in on the main stage now was down there. And I'm sitting in the back, and two hours go by, and I tap my publicist. I said, hey, let's you know, let's get ready to get out of here. And right as I'm about to get up and leave, Dusty said, 56, I bet you didn't know I was going to do this, but uh, bring your ass on down. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so no practice, no nothing, right? I, I, I haven't gone over anything. I got 20 seconds to figure out what the hell I'm going to say when I get up there. And first of all, it's Dusty Rose. I'm not telling, you know, I'm not telling him, no, Dusty tell you get your ass up, you're going. He did it to me once too. I was fucking sweating. Yeah, I was sweating bullets. Got up there and I just did what I knew best without having anything really put together or practicing. And I kind of just started ripping on certain people who I saw already already do their promos. Because I was watching the whole time. So I just started ripping on certain people. So when I got done, JBL pulls me over to the side. He said, listen, that's one of the best promos I've ever seen out of anybody who's never had any practice ever. Is what he told me. That's awesome. So everything was good. I told my publicist, I was like, go back to the hotel. I'm staying here. Me and Dusty, we sat in this little office in there. We talked football for three hours. And it was one of the best conversations I had. So we, I left, went back to, to NFL Network. And now I'm trying to work out schedules. Now talking contract. And one of the biggest holdups, I think, too, is that this whole Lights Out thing. We go back to me owning Lights Out and name rights. And so that kind of ruffles some feathers a little bit, too. But all in all, I think that really didn't work out. They were launching the network around that time. And there were a bunch of layoffs and it was a lot going on right around that time. I think that they laid off like 10% of all employees for WWE. They wanted to have the name Lights Out for you if you were going to work there? Yeah, no way. It was like, come in as Sean Merriman and we'll figure everything else out. I said, guys, look, I've already, you know, kind of built this name. And more importantly, you you want to have this there. I mean... Um, and I work with everybody in the, every license department, everybody in every division. I knew everybody there within the company, like everybody who was somebody, I knew them, talked to them on a daily basis. So I knew exactly what they wanted and what they needed for me to do. And I told them, I said, look, you, lights out is what you guys want. So let's figure this out first. It just kind of fizzled out after that. I did some stuff on the, on the network, you know, host by hosting WrestleMania, uh, Monday Night Raw. And I believe I did a SmackDown or something like that too. And I still talk to a lot of people there still to this day. And who knows? I remember when all that was happening, because I remember you coming in. I remember there was like a bit of a buzz. It was like Sean Merriman's here. He's supposed to be signing. We don't know what's going on. But I feel like you 
were especially of like that NXT era as they were building up the performance center and all of that. You were like the first like legit athlete that they were trying to bring in. That's the way I remember it anyways, because I do remember there a buzz around you coming in for that. You know, they love monsters, right? Was they, they come and they want the big guy, the athletic guy, and they wanted to go after athletes. And I've always said the more athletes should be doing that. You know, my boy Mojo playing ball and they got a couple other guys who played ball as well. It's the perfect fit. When you're looking for looks, athleticism, and what they're trying to build, they should be going after more former athletes. Certainly, especially when somebody can come in and bring in that charisma and all that. Um, and I know now they're they're working alongside with the NCAA with that NIL situation. I'm not sure exactly what's going on there, but I think they're signing, what, like 50, 50 different people to other contracts or something um, outside of uh, outside of their sport. So kind of cool to see them start to integrate these other athletes into uh, into professional wrestling. I'm excited to see what they do with that. What else is going on with you? What else do you have coming up? You're the busiest man around right now, it seems. Uh, what else is happening for you? Working on a big fight in January for Lights Out Extreme Fighting and expanding the whole like interactive stuff with football. Like I said, the pandemic screwed a lot of us up. So a lot of these venues are so backed up for not having nothing for a year. So now you got to like start planning for your 2022. 2022 for us got to be big because we have the best up and coming fighters in MMA. Ask anybody at any of the major MMA companies, they'll tell you that we have we have the best up and coming talent. And so it's really just growing that talent and uh, making sure we get more eyeballs in certain distribution. Well, I'm really excited to uh, continue to watch this grow. See what else uh, you have going on. I, I think just like the interactive part, like you said, I think that's something that could really catch on and be something really interesting. I mean, even just like the live betting aspect of it, of what the finish might be or whatever is, is something really, really cool. So congrats. Appreciate it. Well, you got we got to get you out to a fight. Yes. I was like, oh, yes, yeah, I'm thinking she's coming to fight because that's that's one of the places we're looking at right now for, if not January, then February to uh, be in Vegas. And I was thinking about you. I said, I said, yo, let me reach out to her to see if she's in Vegas. And oh, I'm moving to Cincy. I said, Cincy. <laughs> I know. Like, I know. It threw a lot of people for a loop. Threw me for a loop. But here we are. I actually really love it here. It's beautiful. But I know because when you first reached out to me, I think I had like just had my baby and I was like, I can't go anywhere right now. I'm like stitched up. I don't know what's happening. But next time around in 2022, I can make it to a fight 100%. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on this special edition of the Best of for Oral Sessions. We just mash up the best from the week, let you guys get the little highlights. You can go back and listen to the full-length episodes should you choose to do so. I highly recommend it because there's some good stuff in there. It's really hard to cut these down because these chats can be so great. We, we, we really do have the best guests come on here and hang out. And uh, I love being able to do that here on the show. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. You can go back and listen to more of the episodes. You can also watch these interviews on our YouTube page. You can just search Renee Paquette, search for the volume network, and you'll be able to find all the things. We've got the short clips. We've got the full length interviews. Find them all in there. Like, subscribe, share, turn on the notifications, all that good stuff. We'll see you guys next time on Oral Sessions. Oral Sessions.